What's up, friends? Mike Myers here with the Songwriting for Guitar podcast, episode number three, Bonnie J. Baker. Bonnie is a multi-platinum songwriter, and she has had amazing singles cut with so many artists that I could spend this entire episode just talking about that. We're going to talk about how she got started and this period of time a little bit later in life where for two years she was kind of figuring out and rediscovering songwriting again. And the process and the journey is super fascinating to me, and you're going to love it. So let's not wait. Let's dig in to episode number three, Bonnie J. Baker. When I look at all the things that you've done, the one thing that strikes me constantly, because I just I could just go through your website and the catalog and the songs that you have, and I can look like platinum two times, number 12, six, like you are by far the the sweetest, most grounded person I have ever come across when it comes to that. And to me, like we we talked once before and you get a vibe of someone just in those first moments, I feel when you talk to someone and I felt like I'd known you for so long, how warm and just very open you are. And that also comes through in your songs. Do you feel like that connection between your writing and just who you are is just so just intertwined? Wow. That is, uh, (laughs) That's an incredible uh, statement and question, and I'm digesting it as we as we speak. Um, you know, my my goal when I entered this world of creating songs was to have longevity. You know, I wanted to be able to span several decades. I had in mind four, and so I tried to come at this with a classic approach to lyric and melody writing that if you have a hit in 2008, that in 2023, it could still be relevant. Um, I, I just always had that in my brain of trying to, to speak um, in a way that had kind of a classic approach to it. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There are some, some hits on the radio that are very 2020 and I love them. And, um, so I, I just, I appreciate the question and I want to just say that the amount of awards or, you know, I had a goal to sell 10 million records and, um, recently kind of passed that mark. And I'm very humbled by, people buying albums or people downloading an album because we work so hard on this music in our little spaces. And then to have people listen and respond to it is probably the greatest achievement I could ever have. Um, I love writing. I love working with artists. I love sussing out what messaging we want to work on but when that message lands is is really my greatest joy. There's so much in that that entire statement you've made. Uh, with that idea of longevity, like, you know, I want this to not just be a current thing or just this, I want something that's going to speak decade after decade. 
were you always in that mindset? Like, you know, when you first thought of the idea of writing songs, what was your introduction to that process or this, this idea of expression? Well, it's, it, it's interesting you ask because my beginning, I, I have a degree in English and I started my master's degree in um, creative writing. Um, I wanted to get a master's degree and I studied fiction and Many of my absolute heroes were people like Ann Tyler and uh, who has written just an incredible body of work. And she's not the flashiest, most well-known author in the world. And she's literally been writing books for 30 years. And I find her newest book to be speaks. I find her newest book to speak to me as well as her first book. Um, and then you had To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, I was such a fan of that story. And you take that story and you can read it in any year. And the values and integrity of that body of work will stand the test of time. So I think actually my I was responding to the authors on a fiction level that really spoke to me. And then it just kind of parlayed itself into writing songs. Um, but then also I have many heroes as songwriters, uh, Carol King being one, uh, tapestry was just a huge part of my, of my growth as a, a writer. And, um, you, I can go down the rows of people that, were not necessarily my peers or people that were current when I found them, but I still, I still found so many things to listen to in their work that spoke to me as an eight-year-old, as a 10-year-old. What I love about that, you said it spoke to you, because I feel sometimes songwriters are caught up in the game of, okay, so what's charting on the radio that needs to be my thing. And they just absorb themselves, but, and they're trying to pull from something to get inspired. And they may be, you know, kind of pulling from the wrong well. You know, it just may not be the thing that ignites that fire or whatever metaphor you choose to use. So hearing things that speak to you, that's going to be the thing that kind of ignites your creativity or the thing that if you're looking for that longevity, you need to be on the search for that and not for something that necessarily might be Oh, that's the number one because it has, you know, the, the, you know, the cool, it references Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And I think to put it in, in, in other terms that, that piggyback to what you just said is if you were looking to the external to motivate you and, and drive your passion it's different than looking to the internal hmm. to drive your passion. Um, my insecurities make me feel like no one wants to hear my story. So therefore we go outside of ourselves. We want to live this Instagram life that looks sparkly and shiny and exciting and, and everything. And really I feel called to dig into the internal life of myself because the childhood, the stories, the trauma, the, uh, the challenges and the victories that I have 
very well may speak to someone else who's having their own challenges. You know, I, I think of myself, I remember growing up and going to punk shows and standing and being like, yeah, you know, and just like, you know, loving the atmosphere. And then, you know, fast forward, I remember going to see Jason Isbell and James McMurtry and it was at, I was sitting down mm-hmm. and I was just, you know, you're right, eyes closed and just like being like listening intently to lyrics and just like the feeling being like, oh, this is fucking awesome. This is, you know, you know, before it was the loud, like, fuck yeah. And now this one was just the quiet, just inner self of just like, this is so good. And I looked around, I could see people just sitting there absorbing it. And And, both of those are fine. You know, it's, you know, there's value in both of those. Like I have a 17 year old who will go to, he can't right now, but he loves to go to these shows that start at 2 a.m. He gets there four hours early so he can be on the front row. And those artists speak to him. He he comes home fired up about creativity and songs and music and life and friendship and all that. So voices can be louder or softer or, you know, there's no genre that I'm putting on this. It's like we have great artists out in the world in every genre that that speak to us and i will say some of the some of the artists that he follows they have created communities that are strong with integrity the idea of art and creation and expression and the meanings behind it and what it says right right. that that stands the test of time exactly and and i'm that is what gets me up every day um to 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 walk down to my my studio office that I have and get to work. So when you came to Nashville in the early 90s, what was the experience for you because I would say, you know, coming into writing in the perspective as a female kind of into that world which seems very especially in the country world, Nashville very dude centric. Yes, but 1992 we had just had uh the 80s where um, female artists were crushing it. We had Katie Oslin, Susie Bagas, um, uh, I could go on and on and on, Pam Tillis, Emmy uh, Lou had had a resurgence and, and a writing streak. So we had a lot of very strong females that were selling records, Reba, uh, on and on. So I got here in 92 and what I noticed first and foremost with Nashville is what a community it was. It was very much a very tight knit community. And, um, you know, as an outsider coming into any story, you wonder where your place is. And so I, I, my first apartment was right down on Broadway, um, uh, close to music row. Um, and I just, I just walked places, got to know the little live venues that were close by and literally um, realizing that most songwriters like myself were um, underfunded (laughs) as it were. And uh, um, so I started a songwriters night that the price of admission was just some canned goods like just bring whatever canned goods you have and that will get you in. And so I could invite my, 
my uh, friends that I was meeting to come and, and play and uh, people coming to the show. It didn't cost them any money. They could bring, you know, one canned good and they would get in. And so we started this where we would, you know, each, each month take this to the, to the mission and, and give them some canned goods and it didn't cost people any money to get in. And so during that time, um, I, I met some songwriters, someone, um, had a show booked at the bluebird, which was very hard to get in. And last minute they had one of their four people drop out. So they asked me if I would fill in. So I went to the bluebird and played in a round and in the audience that night was a guy named Brett Beavers who was playing bass for Martina McBride at the time. Um, his wife was also in the business. He was from Texas and I mentioned I had moved to Nashville from Austin, Texas. So fast forward a few weeks later, he and I cross paths literally, you know, walking and he stops and he points at me. He goes, you're from Texas. And I'm like, I am. <laughs> and he said, well, my name is Brett Beavers and I'm from Texas. And literally he grew up just down the road from where my parents are from. We connected on that level. And he said to me, I just signed a young writer artist. We have a joint venture with Sony. Would you get together with him? He's from Texas as well. And I was like, of course. And that person was Troy Johnson. Troy Johnson um, got a Dixie Chick cut not long after that. Some Days You Gotta Dance that Keith Urban also cut. Yeah. Troy and I became fast friends. He's like my little brother. And we spent so many days in the upstairs of his little house that was right there close to Music Row. I could walk to it. And uh, in a house that had no air conditioning upstairs. And we had a little four track. And we literally worked days and days. We'd do three tracks, bounce it down to one, two tracks, bounce it. You know, we were the first people that I knew of that we started doing our own demos. And those first few years of my life with Troy Johnson are absolutely the foundation of who I am as a writer because he and I, I, his voice is ridiculous. If you've ever heard his voice, uh, he and I wrote a song during those years called tonight. That's on a Sarah Evans record. And, um, um, and also the publisher I, I signed to during that time was a huge Troy fan, but Troy was at Sony. So she, she, she signed me. It's like, okay, we'll take, <laughs> we'll take the B team. Um, but sometimes the B team gets to come in on Super Bowl Sunday and freaking win the game. So um, <laughs> I, my first few years literally hinged on there's a Bluebird show. Somebody, you know, dropped out. Will you step in? Mention I'm from Texas. Brett Beavers, you're from Texas. Will you write with a writer I just signed named Troy Johnson? Those five things right there are the whole foundation of why I'm even here. That to me, just those five things, how they just line up. 
You know, do you feel, you know, for some people, they'd be like, ah, that sounds like some hippie shit, Mike. But do you feel like the universe in some capacity when you're, when you focus and you listen to what you feel you're supposed to do and you do it, even when the thing is not defined? I think Rob Bell talks about that. I love, you know, talking about Rob Bell a lot, but he talks about the idea that sometimes you go to the next thing when the next thing you don't know what it looks like. All you know is you need to go there and you follow it. But when you do, that's where those things that the the story gets so interesting because nobody tells a story of like, I went to Nashville and I made it. That's boring as hell. But you just told about like, you know, this dropped out. Then I, all of that. Do you believe that when you listen to that sort of that pull or that call, that's where things and you're attuned to yourself, I guess that's where things happen and that's where the most joy and the, the, the stories are found. Yes. I feel like I have learned through the years, if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. That's first and foremost. <laughs> Secondly, my intuition and gut instinct, those are geniuses that I need to listen to. And the moments in my career that I've listened to my gut instinct, my intuition, that still small voice in your head or your heart, however you want to frame it, the universe, God, whatever that spiritual connection is that, you know, in your language, follow that. There's so many things and just that, that, I have questions about because like in that two year period, I, I feel, was it this daily, almost like pendulum swing of it's over pendulum yes. swing the next day. It's not over. Mm-hmm. I don't. And, and just like live it. How do you, what were some things, especially for people that are hearing this, that go through those questions that maybe they have nothing, you know, as to them, it feels like nothing. I don't want to say nothing because there's a lot of good things that we do that we overlook because we don't think it's good depending on what we measure. What is for you, how did you keep yourself grounded in those moments that you're talking about stillness, which is super important. How did you keep that? I guess like yourself grounded just a little bit. This is just <laughs> say, Bonnie, going, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. From going insane. Yes. Uh, I, <laughs> how do you stay here? The, the, I'll give you the story of my life in the last two years. I needed to go to therapy. I had some childhood trauma that I have lived with and reacted to my whole life. A lot of the unhealthy behaviors and patterns I have all stem from childhood. Well, guess what? When your career is not in, uh, in, you know, in, in power mode, you have time to go to therapy, which I did. You have time to read books, which I did. I had time to journal, which I did. I had time to ask questions. I had time to get curious. Um, I started taking, um, you know, mix with the masters workshop classes and learning how to, how to mix vocals because I have spent many, many, many dollars on people mixing my demos through the years and some I loved, some I didn't love, but it was a lot of money. And so I got curious, what makes a vocal that, that makes me just go, wow, I really want to hear this song. So I, I started basic EQ compression, 
you know, just you guys know you're, mm-hmm. you're producers, you understand all of those things. I just got curious. I started buying some gear and putting together, you know, a little bit of a, a little bit of a studio that I could do vocals in my own little space so I could work on them. That has been so rewarding because I love that. I love writing a song, but then I love hearing where it's going to go, you know, production and, and vocal production and that kind of thing. So I got curious about other aspects of my life. I started teaching. I, um, I was offered a, a position at MTSU to teach commercial songwriting, gender and identity. And I was like, yes, the answer is yes. I want to do that. So I wrote the curriculum from the ground up. They had never offered this class. So I got in to the class and I love my students. Literally, they still text me with, you know, song ideas and, hey, I just finished a song. I love that. And then the other thing was I had been involved in a documentary about gay women in the music business. And so in these two years, I was able to uh, to write a song that they're going to use in the film. I was able to be a part of the film, go through that process. Um, they, they have a great producer and director, and I've learned, you know, how that process works. Because creativity is creativity, whether you're doing a television show or you're doing a game or whether you're doing a documentary or writing a song or writing a book or doing workshops, all of that is creative. So for the first time in my whole adult career, I was able to be curious about what other things and ways to be creative, which kind of freed me up. You know, I've still been writing these two years. I probably have 50 songs or so I've written in two years, but I was at a level of like writing 80 a year, 120 a year. I mean, just... That's all you had time to do. And then the last thing in these two years, you know, I mentioned my son is 17. I've been able to just be a parent and, and focus on him and his journey and his, um, you know, health and well-being. And probably something that had been a, a, a cornerstone of my life, but I'm not sure I had always given it the attention it deserved and needed. So, all of those things came into my life since, you know, July of 2018, because I opened myself up. I'm still a songwriter. I still love, you know, production. I still love studio days. I still love writing five days a week, but because I opened myself and got curious, I have been able and allowed other venues to walk into my life that I have really grown from. Um, so when there are those moments when the writing is tedious and hard and challenging, find some other ways to be creative, to give your brain a minute to then re-engage with writing. Writing is should not be hard. You know, being a creative should not be the hardest thing you do all day. It should be the most lit up, passionate fire that you start. And it should, 
It should be easier than we make it sometimes. So if you're finding it difficult, and I'm not meaning walking away. I'm not saying when a, a career gets hard, you stop. I'm saying opening yourself up to other avenues of creativity a lot of times will loosen up what's going on. And, you know, I, I have to say, I just, I feel like my best songs are in front of me. I've never felt like my best songs are behind me. So that's the other reason I just don't want to stop yet. It's like, I want to see what is next, you know, what songs are going to be next. I, all of that, the idea that you are just chasing your curiosity Mm -hmm. And just like what 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 is this is interesting because now in that stillness or those moments to not that are you're not being bombarded with like well my publisher's saying I need to have this many songs and we've got to get th that you stopped and you were looking at well what does pique my interest where do I want to go and just like the the time you spent with your son those two year periods that that is something you will carry with yourself. For, for the rest of your life, you're going to look back at that period. And it's just, to me, remarkable. Those are incredible things, too. You know, as it's kind of like you know, that daily struggle of like, well, what's going to happen with my career? All those things that you did are amazing. And people do fill their schedules with too much because sometimes they're told, you've got to write all the, you know, all the time. And sometimes people around there are like, this just doesn't feel good. So right. hearing that is very refreshing where it's saying, don't give up on writing, but that's okay. Like it's not, I don't think people hear that enough. I think some people go out and they buy lyric books and they watch these tutorials and they're like, what's wrong with me? Right. Why can't I put, why can't I do this? Is there something wrong with me? And it's like, no, you're fine. Right. And that's what I'm hearing too. And that's what I love about, um, you know, just in our conversations, I, I don't think creative people hear enough like you're fine i i think that maybe that's why i watch still a lot of mr rogers because i'm desperate to hear a lot of the times like you're fine you don't have to do anything sensational right now how you are is perfect yes and if we as creators gave ourselves room to breathe and 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 room to explore I think we would find ourselves in a much stronger case. I do think the workaholic syndrome that I see is based on insecurity. I know for me it was. I've got to keep my publisher happy to be able to keep a job. Well, no, we have to make ourselves happy. And that's just kind of a, um, I don't want to be disparaging, but that's the worker class mentality is I have to work hard enough to be accepted. And that's just not true. You know, that is just not true. It is, we need to be productive and healthy. And, you know, yes, if you're signed as a writer, you have to put out a certain amount of songs, um, meaning you have to create a certain amount of copyrights in a year. But my, my, what was in every contract I've ever signed is 12 units. So if it's a three-way, that's a third of a unit. Okay. So that's 36 songs. If it's a half of a unit, that's 24. You know, I always overwrote. I always had 80 to 100 to 120 every single year when all that was asked of me was 12 units. 
And yet I just, I was in this mindset of like, I got to work more and more and more and more and more. And, you know, this is so overdone and, and everything, but the, the, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, <laughs> expecting different results, getting to the end of a year going, why am I exhausted? Why am I burned out? Why do I hate music at this moment? Because you were trying to light a fire with wet wood, <laughs> you know, it's just like you're trying to ignite something within yourself that isn't there. You know, when you listen to an artist, they can't fake if they're on fire passionately about the song or not. Adele, you do not have to guess if she believes every word that she says, right? You just don't. And, you know, I have to say that I, I, I'm, I'm such a Taylor Swift fan. This latest record is like... It's so good. <laughs> it's so good because you just believe everything she says. And, you know, I'm so done with the questions of, does she really write her songs? Oh, my God, people. Um, and, and But I can, you know, the Chicks, their new record is, is phenomenal. And it's just like I can go on and on and on and on with artists that, that I gravitate to, Halsey. And, um, again, I can just go on and on, some known and some not known, of artists that you, they can't fake that. And guess what? Writers can't fake that either. They cannot turn in song after song after song and the fire be there if it's not there. And, you know, you can know in your head how to write a song. You can know structure. You can know rhyme scheme. You can understand chords. You can understand chord structure. But if the fire of the story is not there, you have to go back and work on that because that is literally painting without paint. And I just want to encourage people to step, first and foremost, understand why you want to be a songwriter. If you want to be a songwriter for the, the awards and for the accolades and to hang out with the people you want to hang out with, just own that, okay? But if you want to be a writer because you have something to say, the biggest thing I can teach you is to learn how to say that in a unique way. One of the things I look for, phrasing, tone, it's all about the voice. It's about how someone can sing a line and make me believe it or not believe it. Is there a structure that you need to follow, a rhythm of language, syllables? There's some that work really well, but you cannot fake that. That is something you cannot fake. And if you feel like you need help with the vehicle, like if you feel like you need voice lessons or if you feel like you need guitar lessons or, you know, uh, engineering lessons, do those. But more than that, work on yourself, like work on how to phrase it and say it. Sing it the way you would say it. Like literally in the last, I would say, few years, I turn on the record button and I sit with the piano and I just go for hours. And sometimes at minute 48, 
I'll say something that literally makes me just go numb. And I realize it took 47 minutes for me to get there. Right? Because I was trying to say all this like cool stuff and yeah, I'm, I'm cool. I'm writing a song. And then all of a sudden, all of those barriers go down because I've exhausted myself. And then I say the thing that's real. That it feels like, too, that's like a very uh, um, musical way of. I don't know if you ever read The Artist's Way by Julian Cameron. Oh, God, yes. I, yes. It feels like that's like morning pages to the extreme. Like you're delving deep within the surface. Like the first couple, you know, maybe 20 minutes are you just saying things you think you want to hear until you get to the the, the core of what yes. you really want to say. And you kind of yes. have to sit with it. Oh. Morning pages changed my life at 18. I, I was a big morning pages um, I have a stack of books that I use. Uh, the War of Art is one. Writing Down the Bones. Um, just on and on and on. If anyone ever wants to connect, you know, they can also connect with you to to talk with me. But I do feel like there can be some workshopping around. Um, I don't want to say meditation as such, but just more of like uncovering the truth that you have to say as an artist and as a writer that yes, you can go to Berkeley and spend a lot of money on a music degree and I, kudos to those who choose that path. But I also think the thing that you offer the world, the thing that you offer the world is the fact that no one else is you. Every individual has a magic within them and what I teach in my class is that a lot of people are marginalized because of the fact that they're female or the fact that they are, um, um, they're black or the fact that they're, you know, a homosexual or gay or trans or whatever. Like there's a lot of marginalized people and maybe you find yourself being in the margins, but listen to me, mainstream meets the margins and that's where seismic shift in art happens is when we get the mainstream to move out into the margins of the people that have not had a voice. The other thing is I find people that want to be, you know, songwriters, but they really don't. They, they don't know what else to do in their life. So one of the things I try to do is help people find their true skill set and their true passion and drive. You know, if you love booking clubs and you love your friends and they have, you know, you have a lot of talented friends, then, then book them in clubs. Not right now. It's not working, but you know what I'm saying? It's like do the skill set that you truly have and that you love because that's what you're going to work on the most. Um, you know, if I'm working with artists and, they're constant, constantly canceling writing appointments to go have a photo shoot, then be, be a model. You know, yeah. you don't need to be a songwriter. If, if sitting in a room for four hours to write a song is just soul crushing to you, then don't do it. I spend hours and on hours on hours alone. And now, you know, on a zoom call or whatever, remotely working on songs. I pull up songs every single day. It is my one drive. Um, but if I had a different set, you know, 
set of, of uh, uh, eyes over here wanting to be a business person, then I would wake up every day and want to do that. Just listen to yourself and be honest. Don't say I want to be a songwriter or a producer or, you know, an artist unless you truly want to put in the 10,000 hours. And, and literally that's what you're driven by. And there's no shame in wanting to learn how to write a song because it's a hobby. Everybody needs hobbies. If playing guitar is a hobby, great, have a hobby. But don't blame the music business if they don't open their doors wide if you haven't really walked in with a well thought out group of songs or, um, and that may have sounded a little shamey blamey and I don't mean to do that. I just hear a lot of anger against the music business. And it's like the music business is a non-entity. That's just a group of people that have jobs. It's like, no one is in charge of your success except for you. So honesty, you've got to honestly sit down with yourself and figure out where your skill set lies and then work on that and work on yourself. All those things I couldn't agree more with when it comes to, but all those things too, like knowing what you want to do, it, it kind of ties back to the stillness that you talked about, spending time with yourself being honest and sitting in those quiet moments and being like, I don't like this and right. being okay with that. And then, well, what do I like? What am I driven by? What motivates me? And then finding and connecting with that tribe of people right. that are kind of like, I'm into that shit too. And it's like, wow. And then suddenly you're all building that community and that connection. And that's where real things are birthed. And that's where real things form or lasting things too. The little successes are what a career is built on. And, you know, listen, I would, I would, all of that shit would come in my head <laughs> and just write out because if it wasn't a platinum record or a number one record, it didn't count. And that's just not true. It's just not true. One, some of the songs in my career, in my catalog that I am most proud of didn't have a ton of commercial success. I've been nominated for a Grammy and I didn't win. What did I focus on? The fact that I didn't win. Well, I remember years ago when just to get nominated for a Grammy meant something. And then when it came along, I spent months just like, well, we didn't win. <laughs> It's almost like when you, you didn't get nominated, it's just like, God, I'd love to get nominated. And then you do, and you're just like, ah, I didn't win. And it's just like, it's, it's the things that you're meant to do, the places you're meant to go, the people you're meant to connect with, you'll get there. You'll meet them. Don't worry. It's not, you don't have to come from a place of lack, right. but you have to come from a place of authenticity, realness, defining what you do, that fire, and just seek it. And just find what you, that that sort of what are the curious things that you that that pull you that draw you because when you follow that, that's when you end up in a place of realness, contentment, and it seems like that fire that was there just grows even more, and it just keeps on going. So that to me is that's wonderful. I, I stepped over to my desk to grab this card that I I, I wrote out for my. Um, for my students is your sp 
special brand of genius. It exists. Your dream is meant to be achieved. Like what comes into your brain of like your absolute best day ever, pull that into your consciousness and it is meant to be achieved. Like we're not given these dreams and these desires for nothing. You know, it's like dream your dream and then allow it to be achieved. I always thought it was me against the world and me against, you know, all the powers that be. And one day I felt this shift of like, wait a minute, the universe is on my side. Bonnie, this has been for me, like also my soul and my, my creative spirit right now just feels so good because your words are inspiring, not just as a songwriter, but just as as a person, your authenticity that just like comes through and your your compassion for, you know, not just human beings, but especially fostering creativity and for people, no matter what level they're at, just kind of meeting them right there. And that is something that is truly needed more and more. So taking the time to talk to us, but just to share your perspective means the world. Well, thank you guys. And I, listen, I, this is such a life passion for me. So I, uh, I encourage you to, to call me often and let's talk about these things because it is, it is such a joy to talk on this level versus, you know, um, you know, some songwriting podcast or just, in a different focus. And I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, this is going to be w- one of many times that you will be here. Cause this is just mm. wonderful. I could talk to you for hours and hours. So we'll say this is like Bonnie Baker part one, and part then we'll one, just, we'll yeah. just leave it there. And then part two, <laughs> I love it. But um, things that are coming up that you're excited about that you want to share. Well, fall class at MTSU, uh, we've we've reached our enrollment uh, cap, so there's no more places there. Uh, spring, they've opened up the class, so I'll be at MTSU. I'll be doing some workshops along this line. Um, I do not have that fleshed out yet, but uh, the bejewelb15 at gmail.com is where people can reach me, or www.bkermusic.com is is just a website that I have that that just kind of tries to speak to people. Um, I I don't have things that I can say really out in the world yet, but just know that I'm in Nashville in my room working daily to create a community of healthy creatives who find each other. And you know, I've got I've got a group of about 44 that I've been communicating with, just people that have signed up. And I try to mix match co-writing situations. We try to do song starts. It is nothing official. It's just me talking to people. And um um so get in touch either with you guys at the podcast or me directly. And uh because I do believe there's there there is a strong community out in the world of creators who are longing for, for community and they're longing for connectedness. So um, I think that's what I'm supposed to be doing is just connecting people. So that's my next step is learning how to do those things uh, on a meaningful level.
I love it. We're going to include all the info below to get in contact with Bonnie. And thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. I hope you're feeling inspired and motivated after hearing Bonnie's story. She is one of the sweetest people I've ever had the pleasure talking to. And when we, we've only talked twice, but it felt like we were picking up after not seeing each other as friends for such a long time and being like, oh my goodness, how are you doing? That is just her personality. And the empathy that she has for other people, other songwriters, and wanting to help them get to where they need to be, connect them with who they need to meet, I just love. So I hope to have her back. It was fantastic. Hopefully you had a chance to check out my free series last week, How to Write with an Artist Over Zoom. And I sat down with my friend Maddie Finn and we wrote a song from scratch, how you can do that. And one of the crucial things that we talked about in that right was guitar skills, guitar skills, guitar skills. And if you've been listening to these episodes over and over, we talk about the importance of guitar technique, especially when it comes to songwriting. And that's why I'm excited to say for the next week, my class Riff to Radio is open. Riff to Radio helps you write killer riffs, some catchier hooks, and radio-ready songs. You do not need years of lessons, expensive gear, or really complicated theory. Just head to songrangforguitar.com, and when you're at checkout, use the promo code PODCAST25, and you'll get $25 off the course. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was edited and produced by the amazing Chris Fafalius. Until next time.